It's a, it's more of a doctor of technology. Trust me on this. All right. All right. So uh, we have a few terms that we were learning last week. Uh, does anybody remember what eschatology is? Study of the end times. What about dispensationalism? A number of certain periods in history. Based on different dispensations over time, there were different ages. What about premillennialism? <laughs> All right. So why don't we do this, Jacqueline? Are we able to put the glossary up? Now this, there we go. So a millennium, of course, is a thousand years. Uh, I asked what premillennialism is. The view that Christ will return to the earth to establish an earthly millennial kingdom over which he will reign from an earthly throne. <clears throat> we also have amillennialism. Always, I'm getting tripped up again. The word literally means no millennium. So, there will not be uh, that millennium. That, that period is already taking place, basically. And you have uh, post-millennialism, which is the view that the kingdom of God is now being expanded upon the world, preaching the gospel, the saving work of the Holy Spirit, and that Christ will return after a long period. So, we've been introduced to those terms Today we're going to get a, uh, a little bit deeper, specifically into dispensationalism, premillennialism, amillennialism, and postmillennialism. Thank you. <clears throat> All right. So in addition to the glossary, which is available, um, it was posted uh, last week as a link for all of you. We can do that again if you need it, so you have access to it. Uh, we have not just the glossary of term, but we also have a few timeline images that I have labeled that I'll actually be going through today um, as well so that you get a, uh, a good background and it helps to maybe clarify things in your mind. So today we're going to go in uh, you know, a little bit deeper into some of these terms to get an understanding of um, where they come from uh, to get an understanding of what exactly uh, that means, what the beliefs are under that. And <clears throat> we're going to basically finish laying the foundation that we're going to you know, lay down before uh, next week, where we're going to go specifically and look at the Olivet Discourse, which is also uh, on the glossary um, in Mark uh, 24 and 25 and in uh, Mark 13. And we're also going to then, after that, look at uh, Revelation 20 and also some in Daniel. So we'll get into the word a little bit more next week. We're going to touch on a few places this week as we look deeper into what these different terms actually mean instead of terms that James has trouble pronouncing over and over again. So, <clears throat> everybody ready to go to school? Michelle is, but, all right. All right, you ready? Right, she's so eager, she's looking for first grade already. So, <clears throat> so we are going to start out talking about uh, dispensationalism. 
So dispensationalism is more of a recent event. Uh, it was made popular by John Darby, who was a leader in the Plymouth Brethren Group in England around 1830. Uh, it also became popularized by the Schofield Reference Bible. Every, everybody has a Schofield on their shelf, right? No, okay. I do. You don't. She does. Uh, and it stands today as one of the, the more prevailing systems. So we're talking about basically the four major ones. And I will uh, backtrack just a little bit. <clears throat> By the end of this, we may or may not fit into any of these four interpretations. It's kind of like, it's kind of like politics, right? We have the main parties that are in office right now, the Democrats and Republicans, and you may or may not share some beliefs with either of those political parties. <clears throat> and you may share some more with another party, but not all of it. <clears throat> if you want a good description about uh, where things may fit, I would recommend listening to the last episode of Truth Time, a podcast with Pastor Dad, where he talks about uh, where he stands on the political system and what he takes uh, agreement with and what he has issue with uh, with uh, his, uh, his uh, party that he would be closely affiliated with. It's a good discussion. Uh, so dispensationalism, is the governing principle, as we discussed, is that throughout history, uh, there are specific periods or ages that... Uh, that God has set up specific uh, truths for. So this is what's going to occur during this age, this is the agreement for this age, this is the agreement for this age. Uh, most commonly, it is broken up into seven different periods. Uh, seven, of course, appears a lot in, in biblical understanding. Uh, first is the age of innocence, which is with Adam and Eve before they sinned. Uh, of course, you can see that period in Genesis 1 through Genesis 3. Then there's the age of conscience, which is after the first sin, but before the flood, which is in Genesis 3 through 8. And then there is uh, civil government, which is in Genesis 9 through 11. That's after the flood, uh, but before... Uh, the promise uh, to Abraham. Then you do have the promise to Abraham, which fits uh, between Abraham and Moses. It's uh, when the law is given. And then you have the law, which can be found, of course, in Exodus 20 and also uh, in New Testament in Acts 2, um, which is from Moses to the cross. Then you have the age of grace, which can be found in Acts 2, also in Revelation 20, which is the cross to the Millennial Kingdom, and then, of course, the Millennial Kingdom, which is the rule of Christ on earth uh, in the Millennial Kingdom. So, broken up into seven uh, different uh, ages. Now, those aren't necessarily agreed to by everybody, uh, so there are some differences and there are a breakout of different ages, just to give you uh, an idea. Hopefully the graphic appears better than it did last time. There we go, much clearer. 
All right. <clears throat> so that little thing's kind of annoying, but um, you have creation. There we go. Then you have the fall and the messianic promise to Adam, judgment by flood promise to Noah, promise to Abraham and his seed, uh, Moses and the written law with the promise to David. You see underneath there, uh, that's when you have the uh, prophetic warnings and promises. You have the tabernacle and the temple uh, coming into existence, it being destroyed, Israel's captivity, the land being restored and the temple being rebuilt, and then, of course, it being destroyed again uh, after uh, the coming of Christ, his birth and death. And then you have the covenant expanding to all of nations. After that, you have uh, the, uh, the millennium. So you have these different ages <clears throat> that come and go. So both the promises made to Adam and David were unconditional, and uh, there is absolutely no sense that any of these uh, have been fulfilled by the church. These were promises made specific to Israel. <clears throat> so you don't see any of the promises... Pardon me just a second. I said I wasn't getting a cold, but... Uh, so the Old Testament, according to dispensationalism, does not pertain to uh, the church. The church is not the benefactor of God's kingdom in that regard. It is not um, the fulfillment of God's uh, promises in that regard. Any of the prophetic writings due to the end times, remember we're keeping it in that category, it just have to do with the church. Then you get into the New Testament, where you deal with the Olivet Discourse, which is found in the Gospels and, and Revelation 20, which deals specifically with the church, completely separate from Israel, and this is important to understand, it's not, uh, the church is not taking the place of Israel. The church is a complete separate entity from Israel, and is not um, taking hold of its, uh, the, the promises uh, to Israel. So God has basically, in dispensationalism, God has separate programs for Israel and for the church. There are two uh, judgments. Now Jesus Christ came to offer the earthly kingdom to Israel, and that's what we have written down for us, um, and they rejected him. So since they rejected him and Jesus Christ was crucified, um, the, the kingdom is now offered to the church. So basically Israel had its chance, and now the church has its chance. Jesus is coming again to rapture the church and will finally establish his earthly kingdom that was promised to Israel through the church, and this second coming is going to happen in two different stages. You will have the pre-rapture and then the rapture-rapture, because one is not good enough. You'll basically be having the one where all the saints are called up to Jesus, and then when they come back again in judgment with Jesus. Um... Now, between those two raptures, that is when we have the tribulation, the years of trouble, which is, uh, which is found in uh, Daniel's 70th week. Seven years of tribulation. 
There are three resurrections that take place of the righteous before the millennium, of the unrighteous after the millennium, and of the tribulation of saints whose return to Christ during the tribulation. So three raptures take place, basically. Wait, yeah. Does that make sense? I do not have a graph for that. <clears throat> I do have a bullet point. So three resurrections. That's three resurrections. The before, which will be um, of the righteous. Um, the unrighteous after the millennium and the tribulation saints, which are those who turn to Christ during the tribulation. Okay. That's dispensationalism. So basically, if you take away anything else from this, you should take away that dispensationalism is all about different ages and periods. From one period to the next, those promises are for those people in that age and do not carry forward to the modern age for the church. There are promises made to the church only because the Israelites rejected God's kingdom and crucified Jesus Christ. Any questions? Good. Because I don't know that I'd be able to answer it right now. <clears throat> so let's move on now to premillennialism. So premillennialism interprets some of the prophecies and scriptures as having literal fulfillment, while others are going to be sort of semi-symbolically fulfilled. So it's more of an allegory to what will happen as opposed to what has happened. So case in point, the seal of judgments that are found in Revelation 6 are viewed as having fulfillment in forces of history rather than in future. So those things have already taken place, the seven seals, uh, by which God works out his redemptive and judicial purposes that lead up to the end. And rather than believing in the imminent return of Christ, uh, these uh, things have, many of these things have already taken place. So they don't lead up to Christ, but they've already taken place. The rise of the beast and the false prophets must take place before Jesus' second coming. The second coming will be accompanied by a resurrection and rapture of all of the saints, which can be found in 1 Thessalonians 4, 15 through 18. Somebody want to turn to that? I didn't say we wouldn't be in the Bible at all. I said we'd be in the Bible more next week. 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 15 through 18. Yeah, go ahead if you've got it. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the 
So they take this as an understanding. Those that, uh, that study, uh, believe in premillennialism, take this as an understanding that all of the saints will be raptured and resurrected if they had already passed on. This will be the beginning of the millennial reign of Christ, and the Jewish nation, while being perfectly able to join the church in its true faith in Christ, has no distinct redemptive plan. So Israel, in and of itself, is not redeemed unless they accept Jesus Christ. Um, at that point in time, those saints will not rise. Um, the duration of the millennial kingdom is unsure whether it's literally a millennium or if that's metaphorical. Uh, here is an idea of how that's laid out on the timeline for us. So Jesus Christ's birth date and his, um, his uh, atonement, you see the, the temple is rebuilt and then destroyed, and that actually started the period of great tribulation, which brings us to the present church age. God's covenant already expands, Satan is bound, and then there is the millennium uh, of Christ's reign and kingdom, and then he is, Satan is loosed after that. Premillennialists believe that the church was foreseen in the Old Testament prophecies, and that the church is actually the fulfillment of Israel. So unlike dispensationalism, where there are promises to Israel, and they are fulfilled in Israel only, and there are promises to the church, and they are fulfilled in church only, uh, premillennialists believe that the church basically has taken the place of Israel for the fulfillment of those promises. Christ's first advent was specifically for the purpose of dying for humanity's sin and not to set up any type of kingdom for the Jews. Uh, the second advent will be one event as opposed to a two-part formula like dispensationalism. Uh, the rapture will include the saints living and dead, meeting the Lord in the clouds immediately preceding the millennial reign. Uh, Christ will return before the millennium to institute a thousand-year reign. The millennium will see the reestablishment of the temple, the worship and sacrifice as a remembrance of Christ's sacrifice. So a little, literal rebuilding of the temple in Israel, not to follow the Jewish custom of sacrifice, but sacrifice to be done in remembrance of the sacrifice that Christ has made. Uh, the church will go through the tribulation, which can be found in Matthew 24, 3 through 22. Uh, who would like to look up Matthew 24, chapter 3, or verse 3? My, my bad. Matthew verse 24. Uh, okay, <laughs> let me roll that all back. Who would like to look up Matthew chapter 24, verse 3 through 22, to describe the tribulation that we will all experience according to premillennialism? Go ahead.
22. So thank you. So as she read, I hope you were getting an image of your mind of the different things that would take place. Seriously? That is the... That is the, the tribulation that, according to premillennialists, uh, all of the, the church will go through. Uh, famines, wars, earthquakes. Uh, when the time comes, uh, if you're on the roof, don't go down into your house and get what you need. Uh, there is a sense of urgency during that time period. Um, now, interesting thing, uh, if you listened, as she said, near the end of what she was reading, said specifically that you want to pray that it doesn't come during the winter. So that doesn't give a specific time frame as to when this will take place, what season it will be when it takes place. Uh, remember, this sticks with the understanding that no one knows the time or day. So even in this prediction, there isn't, it's going to happen during the, the winter, it's going to happen during the summer or the spring or the autumn. It, it will be a great, uh, there will be a great event and there will be a great uh, tribulation and then everyone should hurry, there will be a sense of haste. There will be great persecution for, for the church. The church will, uh, its members will be hunted. Uh, we will be killed. Uh, Jerusalem itself, the Christians there will flee towards the hills and then be hidden by God. There will be two resurrections, uh, resurrections of the righteous before the millennium and the unrighteous after the millennium. So that's uh, pre-millennialism. Let's take a quick look at amillennialism. Amillennialists believe that the kingdom of God was started at Christ's resurrection. We have a timeline up here. Started at Christ's resurrection, at which point he gained victory over Satan and the curse. Christ is even now reigning at the right hand of God over his church. And after this present age is ended, the one that we're in now, he will return immediately and usher the church into their eternal state after judging the wicked. Uh, amillennialism literally means no millennium, because we're already in it. Now, amillennialists uh, interpret the apocalyptic literature as not literally. It's all allegorical. There are no specific, uh, specific you know, things that you can point to and say this is literally what is going to take place. Now, in amillennialism, the church becomes Israel. Because Israel rejected what was offered, the church now has taken hold of the promise Satan was bound during Christ's uh, earthly ministries and restrained throughout the spreading of the Gospels. Okay, I can't... So it says at the top, 
the final judgment at Christ's return uh, is what that big blue line at the end is. So at this point in time, Satan is bound. You can see the temple has been destroyed in 70 AD. We're in the current present age of the church, and God's covenant is expanding to all nations. So we are basically, for all intents and purposes, if we're going with millennial as a time frame, since we're not taking it literally, it's allegorical, we are now in the midst of the millennial, the millennium. Uh, they do not believe that Scripture predicts a golden age of the world prior to Christ's return. So there's not going to be a great time of rejoice. There will not be a time of peace uh, leading before the tribulation and the trouble. Uh, that, uh, for all intents and purposes, has already taken place. And although God's kingdom is present in reality... They look forward to a future glorious kingdom that is perfected for eternity. Uh, Christ will return, resurrect all people at the same time, and then judgment will follow, and then a new heaven and new earth will be established for all eternity. And then we have... Finally, post-millennialism. Post-millennialists believe that the millennium is an era, not literally a thousand years, in which Christ will reign over the earth, not from a literal earthly throne, but through gradual increase of the gospel and its power to change lives. So Christ is ruling through the gradual spread of his word. He is not literally ruling, nor will he literally rule as a throne, as a king. Um, after the whole world has an opportunity to, be, uh, to hear the gospel, to be Christianized, as it were, then Christ will return immediately and usher the church into their eternal state after judging the wicked. In this, the church, once again, common theme here, becomes Israel of God. The kingdom is, of God is present in reality, and the kingdom of God is essentially redemptive and spiritual in character rather than any type of physical or political entity. The Holy Spirit gradually brings about a triumph of true Christianity before Christ returns. And then the resurrection will be a general, all people at the same time. Judgment will follow, and then the eternal uh, kingdom will begin. So why most postmillennialists look forward to a golden age, a period of spiritual prosperity, it doesn't mean that every person will be a Christian or that sin will be abolished. They do believe that there will be a golden age, though, of time on earth where the majority of the world is Christian and there is a time of peace throughout the world and uh, worship uh, where everybody essentially turns to God. This period of spiritual prosperity comes about gradually. It doesn't just appear. 
it's happening now and will continue to grow until its fulfillment where the majority of the world uh, understand and look towards Christ. All right, that's the boring stuff. Now the reason that we went over those definitions and we gave you a little bit of greater detail is not because I feel like you guys haven't spent enough time in school, uh, not because I said to myself, you know what is really fun is if I go and give a sermon where everyone's bored and basically I could have done a PowerPoint slide presentation, which I could have. That would have been cool, right? Just click. And as you see on the next slide, I'm sorry, I shouldn't make fun of John. Anyways, the, the object here is for you to have a greater understanding of the different views that are out there to set forth a firm foundation because in the next two Sundays, we will be looking into these passages ourselves and we will be digging through them so that we have a clear understanding of what's going on. I want to make sure to point out here that of these four major views, no one is uh, setting out to uh, purposely pull things out of the, the Bible. Um, again, we're dealing with uh, texts that are prophetic in nature. So it is difficult for people to be able to say, well, this is exactly what's going to happen. Uh, me, personally, if you were to ask me, do I take the Bible literally, I would tell you, well, yes, I do. But I also understand that there are allegories in the Bible as well. I do not believe that God wants me to cut off my right hand if it's causing me to sin. But that really pounds home the importance of living for God. Because if this could not be conquered, if this continued to stumble me, it would be better that I would live without it. So it is important as we study these things that we remember to read with the proper hermeneutics, and we do our best to kind of figure out what it is. Now, the goal isn't that at the end of this month you will say, well, I'm a dispensationalist, or I'm a premillennialist. In fact, you may not even fit into those definitions exactly. I can say personally, I don't fit into any one of those things specifically. There are different uh, differences that I have with uh, some of the different points and, and beliefs under, uh, under those. Uh, that's why I liken it to political affiliation in that regard, as they don't all meet that. The important thing is, is at the end of this month that we understand where, um, where, where Christ comes into this. This month isn't just eschatology, it's the eschatology of Christ. So where he fits... Uh, specifically in the end of this. Uh, in the end, does it matter specifically if we hold one of these specific views? Uh, it, it doesn't, not really. But it does inform the way we live, and I would hope that regardless of what our views are at the end times, what that exactly looks like, that we understand that we live for Christ on a daily basis with a sense of urgency, because we do not know uh, when these things will take place. Our job as we're here 
is to go out and make disciples of all men. Our job while we're here is to steal ourselves with the foundation and knowledge of who Christ is and who God is through the word that he has given us. If we approach every aspect of our lives with that understanding, um, the, way that, the way that we try to understand these specific prophecies uh, takes a, a back seat to how we live our lives in the here and now. So like I said, next week we're going to start looking specifically at the scriptures and make some of our own decisions based on the Olivet Discourse and then on Revelation 20. What I would like you to do today is kind of discuss these different, uh, these different uh, systems of eschatology and um, ask yourself a couple of questions. What system most closely matches your current understanding? So, of the four that we discussed, um, which one most closest, closely matches your current understanding, and how does that match your current understanding? And I also want to know, how has your view of the end of days been challenged in the past? Um, like I said before, I shared last week, uh, at one point in time I did not want to have children because I did not want them to have to go through the tribulation. Obviously I have children, but I was focused on one specific passage and one specific interpretation of that passage, and I discovered that I was being very selfish in that belief and that understanding. So, my belief in the end of times was challenged, and as a result, I have children. Now, yours may not be that dramatic, but uh, I would like you to, to just share that with us. So, uh, let's have time for discussion in our cell groups, and we'll come back together, and I will try to make next, uh, the next sermon a little bit more um, lively and less study. Sound good? All right, let's take opportunity to do that now.